good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome to Village Church. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Village, and it is great to see each and every one of you here this morning. We have been in a series since the new year this week, and where every week we are looking at two different realities of the Christian life that need to converge as we learn to live faithful lives of following Jesus. Uh, this has been a very practical series, as Pastor Steve has mentioned several times, dealing with the real stuff of life. And we started this series off with the reality that we all need to change our lives to align with the truth of God's word and the lives that God has for us. And that change often comes at the intersection of the choices that we make. And that idea really has been a through line throughout this entire series. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about grace and truth. And you can turn your Bibles to John chapter one. That's where we'll be going this morning. But grace and truth are often presented as competing ideas in the Christian life. On the one hand, we know that we need to be people who stand for truth. Right, we live in a world that seems upside down. Morality is up for grabs. Many of the major centers of powers in our culture and throughout the world, they call evil things good and they call good things evil. Uh, the truth is offensive to our world. People don't want to hear the truth. They really don't want to hear the ultimate truth that God created everything, that they're accountable to him, and that they're sinners who need a savior. Uh, so we know that that truth needs to get out there. We know that we need to advocate for biblical morality, and we know that we need to defend the innocent. But on the other hand, we know that we need to be people who are bringing the grace of God to the world. Uh, of course, that's at the heart of the gospel message. Yes, it's true that we're accountable to God, that we're sinners in need of a savior, but God all right, being rich in mercy saves us by grace through faith in Jesus. And so because of that, we wonder, how does that ultimate message of grace filter down to the kind of grace that we show people in our day-to-day -day lives? And of course it should. Uh, grace should make us gracious people. We think, but for the grace of God, there goes me. That needs to be a thought that's on our mind all the time as we're out in the world. God gives us compassion towards the same people in the world who are actively rejecting truth. And so what happens is we wonder if in order to give people grace, do we need to temper the truth just a little bit? Do we need to be careful with the truth because we want people to understand grace? We think that if people are offended by the truth, they'll never stick around to hear about the grace. And so there seems to be a tension here. When do we use the blunt hammer of truth? And when do we use a softer touch of grace? What I want us to see this morning from scripture is that Jesus did not try to balance grace and truth. All right, he was fully grace and fully truth. It's better to think about this issue as one of convergence rather than trying to balance attention. And so we're going to talk about truth this morning. We're going to talk about grace. And then we're going to talk about where truth and grace converge. And we see all this in the person of Jesus. So go ahead and turn to John chapter one, uh, verses 14 through 15. And that's our main text this morning. In the word, that is Jesus, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John, that is John the Baptist, he bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So let's talk first about truth. There's a revelation here in this text of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that revelation is described as full of grace and truth. We see this even in the way John the Baptist is said to have bore witness about Jesus. A witness is someone 
who gives a true account of reality. We see this in the way the Apostle John identifies Jesus as the Word, capital W. The Greek here is Logos, the very revelation of God. And when you get down to it, there's no bigger truth than who God is. Every other truth flows out of that reality. And that's why in the person of Jesus, who is God the Son, and the revelation of God, we have the truth. Every other thing about creation and our place in it, it submits to who Jesus is, and it flows out of who Jesus is. Jesus is the truth. And so my first point this morning is that the truth of Christ defines reality. The truth of Christ defines reality. Jesus is God's revelation being made known to us in a way that it wasn't before, that we could actually see the glory of God. And when I say the truth of Christ defines reality, I mean more than just the gospel message of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, but not less than that. It's never less than that. Yes, the resurrection is the climax of history, but in Jesus is also the revelation of why God created the world. Jesus, the word, is the revelation that there is a creational purpose in all that exists. God created and from that truth flows out. Just a few verses earlier, John had more to say about who Jesus was as the word or revelation of God. Look at John uh, right at the beginning, John chapter one, verse one through three. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the ultimate truth of creation. He is God, the second person of the Trinity, and all of creation was made through him. God spoke, God created, and in creating, God began unfolding the truth of reality that we see all around us. Uh, truth is all those things that line up with the reality of God's creation. But truth is more than mere facts. Uh, truth is not only the what of creation. Truth is the why of creation. Truth is not just what is true, just the plain facts. It's also what is the purpose of these true things. Ultimate truth is about meaning and purpose. And we can understand a lot of true things just by observing the world. Non-Christians can learn and know a lot of true things. And this is good. We should do that. But ultimate truth is found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why did God create the world? What is our purpose? What should we be living for? The answers to those questions is getting to the truth. And all these questions are answered in the Word, capital W, who became flesh. In knowing Jesus, we can know first that God created everything because it was all created by and through Jesus. And then second, we can know why God created, to display his glory by saving a people for himself through the work of Christ. The truth of Christ defines reality. It's also significant that Jesus is the word because he's also the author of scripture. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament. That is our foundation of truth because that is where we learn about who Jesus is and about what he accomplished. From those truths, all other truths follow. It's up for grabs uh, in our culture whether or not truth can really be known at all. Uh, I don't think that's a profound statement. I think we all kind of understand and see that out in our culture at this point. The average person in our culture will tell you that truth is a personal thing. Truth is just what you happen to believe. They'll say that uh, you don't believe something because it's truth. Who can really know what is truth? Something is true for you if you believe it. That would be the average view of a lot of people that you would talk to in our culture. 
Generations ago, Christians predicted that this would be chaos, and they have been proven absolutely right. Uh, it's only 50 years from Francis Schaeffer warning about relativism to a large portion of the younger generations in our culture not knowing what gender is for. All right, and that's a disaster, even from a biological, secular point of view, which, of course, we don't even have. But one generation of relative truth working its way through society and your population rate is dramatically falling because not enough people see the truth and the value of marriage and kids as just one example. If you lose truth, your society will quickly, literally cease to exist out of selfishness and short-sightedness. And I would say the root of those things is not knowing the ultimate truth of how Christ defines reality. We see this idea that we can't know truth everywhere. Uh, it presents itself as humble, and that really is deceptive. It presents itself as this idea that to claim you know anything for sure would be arrogant. And I'll tell you, even be sure of anything, even be sure of scripture, and you'll be called arrogant. You'll be called lacking humility, even by other Christians, unfortunately. Uh, just this last week, Rick Warren has been going online again, as he likes to do from time to time. And this time saying that we can't really know anything about whether it's true or not. Uh, in detail, he says, we can't really know what scripture says to us, because even though scripture might be infallible, our interpretations of it aren't. And so we can't really be confident of any doctrine that we might hold. And of course, the reason that he's doing this is because he wants to justify his most recent accommodations to a culture that has rejected the truth of Christ. It's the same old, boring, postmodern acid to reality that we have been dealing with for a while now. And ultimately, that kind of idea is self-defeating, the idea that we can't know anything for sure. It means just what it says. You can't know anything, including whether Rick Warren is right about not being able to know anything. So it's a self-defeating idea. Well, he's not right, is the thing. God gave us brains. God gave us reason. We really can know things. But more than that, God has spoken in his word and God has spoken through the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, becoming a man. And that's why it makes sense that in our passage this morning, Jesus is known as the word capitalized. Jesus, God, the son became a man so that we would know things for sure. So we would know real truth. And the Apostle John actually would write this later on in one of his letters. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 13. It'll be on the screen and I'll read it too, real quick. John said this later on in his ministry. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It looks to me like God thinks we can actually know things. Uh, we can actually know the most important truths of the world, how to have eternal life through Jesus. And if we can know that, and that is the truth that defines all of reality, then we can know a lot of other truths about God's world as well. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he is, and we know that because he rose from the dead, then it's also true that he created a real tangible world that we can know. Reality exists and we can know it. Another thing I want us to see about truth is an important point that John makes later on in his gospel. Uh, the world doesn't believe in truth. We see that all around us. Again, I don't think I have to sell you on that. But it's more than that. The world is actively telling lies about what is true. And the truth of Jesus confronts those lies. Look at John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. And this is Jesus praying to the Father here and talking about his disciples. And he says this. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The world does not want to submit to God's truth because it does not want to submit to God. And so the world tells lies to itself and to anyone who will listen. And the reality of the truth of Christ confronts those lies. Uh, why is it that truth is perceived as harsh? It's simple. It's because reality is unflinching. Reality, creation, the true nature of how God actually created the world, those things are undefeated in history. And they're undefeated in history because God is undefeated and because he is the creator. And so Truth comes crashing down on unbelief, and the world hates truth because of that, because it shows to them uh, their foolishness. Truth reminds the world that there is something greater than them, Christ, who they need to submit to. All of the truth that Christ represents, both, and this is really important to understand, both the what and the why of creation, all of that truth confronts the lies of the world. The world lies all the time in an effort to avoid reality. An easy example of this, I've already said, is the gender insanity, lying about basic biology. But the world lies about all kinds of things. The world lies about what will bring you happiness and fulfillment. And sin, of course, goes right along with it. Sin lies about those things, too. Sin causes us to agree with the world about lies, to agree that we can find what we're looking for in life apart from Christ. Uh, the world lies to us that we can indeed serve two masters. We saw that in the sermon last week. We can have a little bit of the world over here and a little bit of Jesus over there, and it will turn out all right for us. The lies of the world are endless, but John 17, 17 has the answer. God's word is truth. God's word confronts the lies of the world and is our only foundation for truth. And that's why we have to be grounded in it. And here's one last reality about truth uh, while we turn again to our main text for this morning. Truth itself is not a comfort. We've got to understand that to understand where we're headed with grace. The fullness of the truth of God could actually be terrifying. God created the universe and all that is in it. God created everything that we see. That God is holy and perfect. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's everywhere all the time. That all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God created you. He knows your name. He has a purpose for your life. And you're a sinner. <laughs> you're not perfect. You don't live up even to the things that you know are true, let alone all the things that you don't know. And so real truth, the kind revealed in Jesus, would be a terrifying thing. Except that in Jesus we get truth and grace. So look back to John 1 again for a reminder. Let's start back in John 14, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then down to verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From Christ's fullness. So all that we were talking about in regards to truth and reality, the reality that Jesus is God, the son, the word who all of creation is made through the reality of how the world works and what creation is made for the why and the what the truth of why Jesus became a man and dwelt among us to show us the father and to reconcile us to him. That is the fullness. And from that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
And of course, we know that this grace is specifically the good news of all that Jesus did to redeem us, the perfect life that he lived, his death, his burial, his resurrection. All of that we receive as grace through faith. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so here's what I want us to see about grace in point two this morning. The grace of Christ makes truth good news. The truth of reality and the way the world really is, God's actual creation, that is not good news without grace. But we have grace. Jesus dwelt among us full of grace and truth, and from his fullness we have received, if our faith is in him, grace upon grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is the only way we could ever be right with God because of all those realities of truth that we saw earlier. Romans 6.23 is a succinct statement of this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So grace takes truth and it turns it into good news. The truth of reality is that the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But grace, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Grace is what takes the harsh reality of truth and it makes it good news. And in this way, and this is where grace and truth really start to converge. Grace is the full revelation of truth. It's not a tension with truth because grace is reality. Grace happened. Jesus really did accomplish all he set out to do in order to redeem you. Reconciliation with God is available to you now through faith in Christ. That's good news. That gospel message, that is now part of the truth of reality. The gospel is part of how God created the world. It is truth. And see, the reality of grace is what people do not instinctively know. Many of the truths of the world, people know because they are written into creation. People can look around and observe all the, a lot of the truth that we talked about. People suppress the truth, of course. Scripture says that in Romans 1. But to suppress something means you do know it, or at least one time you did. People deep down know they are sinners, that something is wrong. People can see the world is broken and things are not what they should be. People see the effects of sin all over the world, uh, even if they don't have a language for it or they reject a language for it. And there are even many people who really do know that the lies they say they believe don't really fit in and match up with reality. People know they aren't happy. They're lonely and unfulfilled. What people don't know is grace. Now, none of that is to pretend that there aren't many people in our culture who refuse to admit that they know some of these truths in the world. People have an amazing ability to lie to themselves. We all do. But we need to remember that grace is the truth that people really don't know. When you can boldly share truths about how the world is, about why we were created, about our purpose here, about everything that is right and true and good. And while sharing that, yes, admitting you don't live up to these things, but they're good for everyone because it is how God created and designed the world. When you can couple that with the message that it is only by the grace of Christ and what God did that we can live in light of truth, that's the freeing message of the gospel. If you remove that living in light of truth part, you've removed a big chunk of the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not only what we've been saved from, it's also what we've been saved for and to, to live for Christ, to enjoy a life of purpose. And this is the full good news of grace that people do not know. Truth without grace is not good news. And that is why people suppress the truth of reality. That's why people believe lies, because without grace, truth is a burden that we can never live up to. Without grace, the truth of reality tells you that you can never live up to what is right and good. 
The truth of reality says that you're going to die one day. And then what has been the purpose of it all? But grace turns that truth from a burden of death into a mission of life. And when you have grace, a promise like Romans 8.28 can now make sense. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The truth of the world, all that God has created, all of God's purposes in creation, that all works together for good for those who are saved by the grace of God. Grace means that we have a purpose in this life. Creation is not all meaningless, just mere facts of reality, but rather we get to be an active part of God's big truth of what he is doing in the world through his creation. Look at Titus 2, 11 through 15. This is one of my favorite passages on grace. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passage, passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's an amazing passage about grace because it tells you what it is that grace does. The grace of God not only saves us from something, it also saves us to something. The grace of Christ makes truth good news. The huge truth of the reality of the world and the why behind why God created everything. Because of grace, we get to participate in that. Grace allows us to participate in God's truth. Grace is training us, the text says, to follow Jesus and to be zealous for good works. And just like the truth is more than just facts, fully understanding grace is bigger than you realize. When John says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You really don't understand how big that grace is until you understand what grace empowers us to do. Grace is not merely about our past. Grace is also about our future for living a meaningful life following God. When you were given grace upon grace at the moment of faith, that was not merely forgiveness for all your past sin, but also it was for your future sin. Grace is a guarantee that you will be reconciled with God and you're going to enjoy him forever. And because of that, grace not only forgives, it also empowers. It's only when you understand future grace that you are really free to live a meaningful light in light of the truth. And then Paul ends those verses to Titus with such an emphasis that he needs to declare this reality of what grace does. Paul says, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That message that grace changes how you look at life and the truth that you live for and our place in God's creation. Grace changes all of that. That's foundational to the Christian life. Because of grace, we get to follow God. And as we turn back to the main text one last time, this reality that grace empowers living for truth is what I want to really focus on uh, for the rest of our time this morning, because that's where truth and grace converge. And we'll see that those things are not intention. So let's look again at John chapter one, this time verses 17 through 18. And it says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
Now, I know with verse 18, uh, the translation there can be a little confusing. When it says the only God who is at the Father's side, John is talking about Jesus there. It's a similar idea to the only begotten Son. Jesus is at the Father's side. He makes the Father known. But this is one God. And the important point is that Jesus, God the Son, he makes God known. But consider what this says in verse 17 about the law and about grace and about truth. We've said that grace and truth are not at odds, and they aren't. But here, the law is being contrasted with grace and truth. The law could not save, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, and these do save. And the thing about the law of God is that it was true. It is true. The law is good. Scripture is clear about that in Romans 7. Everything in God's law is and was an accurate representation of reality. The law will tell you many true things about God's creation. Matthew 5, Jesus says he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it's not that there is not truth in the law, but the truth of the law is an incomplete truth. The law is good. But we can never meet its demands. And so the law could never save us. It could never accomplish anything for us. And that's an incomplete truth because it's God's mission in creation. It's his purpose for creation to save a people for himself. So we needed grace to understand that truth. But grace doesn't just save us. It also teaches us how to live. And grace empowers us to be able to live for God, which is what the law could never do. Grace and truth converge in Christ and make known God the Father and his purposes in our life. So my third and last point this morning is this. Grace empowers you to live for the truth of Christ's mission. Grace empowers you to live for the truth of Christ's mission. The truth of Christ's mission is all-encompassing for us because it is what God designed us for. Uh, is what we're saved to do. And when Jesus comes to make the Father known, he's ultimately, as it says in Ephesians, he's making known the mystery of God's plan through the church. We're to go and make disciples, to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. That is the truth. And grace not only saves, it also empowers us to live for that truth. That is where grace and truth converge. This idea that grace empowers you to live for truth is what so often is misunderstood on the topic of grace. Truth is important, but without grace, it just becomes a law that you can't actually live out in your day-to-day -day life. And what happens is people are afraid of speaking truth and telling others about truth because it makes them feel vulnerable. And it makes them feel vulnerable because they think they're going to be exposed as a hypocrite. Truth calls all of us a hypocrite because it's true that we're all sinners. And any truth that we proclaim, we're going to fall short of. Uh, tell someone about God's goodness for marriage and the family. But you're not the husband you should be. You're not the wife you should be. You're not the dad you should be. You're not the mom you should be. You're going to be found out as a hypocrite. Tell someone that the truth of Jesus brings peace and joy into your life. But sometimes you're faking it. Sometimes you're jealous of other people. You're a hypocrite. Whatever it is, fill it in. Tell someone the truth about money or truth about relationships, truth about discipleship, any truth about the world, any truth you can say, you know you don't fully live up to that. And many conservative Christians have become sidelined in proclaiming truth because What's really at issue is they don't fully believe or understand grace. Instead, there's, there's a false humility that says something like, well, I'm just a sinner like everyone else, so who am I to judge? 
I need to pull back a little bit from sharing that truth because I don't fully live up to that yet in my life. You pull back from being vocal about truth because you don't want to be accused of hypocrisy. You think I shouldn't talk about that. I shouldn't talk about this issue until I can fully live it out in my life. If that were true, no one would ever speak any truth and no one would ever live for Jesus because none of us are ever going to live up to the standard of God's truth, which is the thing that we're supposed to be sharing. Grace is the answer to that dilemma. When you really understand grace, then you can freely admit that, yes, I am a hypocrite. Yes, you are a hypocrite. We are all hypocrites. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we're okay with that. We should always strive to not be hypocrites. That's just pursuing holiness. That is the purpose of when Paul says several times in Romans, may it never be. We're never going to take advantage of grace to intentionally be hypocrites. But we understand we need grace because at times we will be. Grace relieves us of that burden. The ultimate reality of the grace of Jesus is how you can boldly proclaim and fight for the truth, even as the very real hypocrite that we all are. We have future grace for when we fall short. So we're empowered to move forward with God. Grace makes you bold with the truth. Look at Ephesians 4.15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so this is a passage that people often like to use to encourage you to tone down your truth just a little bit. But if you really understand grace, it gives this passage a completely different perspective. Note that Paul here says to speak the truth in love. He doesn't say avoid the truth because of love. He doesn't say downplay the truth because of love. He doesn't say alter the truth so that it's heard as loving. He says speak the truth in love. And the force of this passage is that we are to be proactive with the truth because that is the loving thing to do in a world that needs it. Communicating the truth is loving. Now, of course, communicating truth involves being heard. I use that word communicating intentionally. All right. Our approach matters. Strategy matters. How we say things does matter. But grace relieves you from thinking it's all up to you whether or not your message is heard as loving. Uh, without understanding grace, your primary concern will be whether or not you were heard as loving. And that's a losing battle in a world that hates the truth because it is rejecting the reality of God's creation. But with grace, your primary concern can become your motivation in speaking, your motivation in communicating, and whether or not you were faithful to accurately explain the truth. Grace allows you to be rid of the burden of how you'll be heard. Because of grace, we don't need to fear that we're going to mess up how we speak and handle the truth. We're already accepted by God. And so we can engage in his truth without fear. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we often say here at Village Church that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And you see that right here in Paul's instruction to Timothy. He says, do your best. Do your best what? Do your best to present yourself before God as one who has grace. He's saying, do your best to realize I am uh, a person who has no reason to be ashamed because God has forgiven me. I have God's grace. And because of that, what is the response of that? It means you can rightly handle the word of truth. Because if you didn't have grace, you have no business handling the word of truth. But you do. You don't have to fear making a mistake as you engage truth. You have grace. Grace doesn't make you apathetic about living for truth. Grace empowers you to live for truth. 
We're always running the danger of misusing grace as an excuse for why we don't live for truth and say the things that we know are true. And God knew that. One last verse I want to look at this morning, Jude 1.4. Jude 1.4, and it says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So people distort grace by making it exactly the opposite of what it means, by making it mean that we don't need to follow Jesus in his mission. And this happens in two ways. It happens through apathy about what we should be doing, apathy about living for the mission of Jesus. And it also happens through apathy about what we shouldn't be doing, by ignoring holiness, not pursuing following God and being obedient to him. Both of these avenues, scripture says, pervert grace. Grace empowers because it turns truth from a burden to be avoided, and it makes truth a mission to live out. Uh, but you do have to live out that truth. It is not optional. Uh, what does Jude say? The perversion of grace denies our master and Lord Jesus Christ. And that kind of language is about a king who must be followed because what he, because of what he has done for you. It's not some get out of jail free card from a savior. All right, we serve a master who gave us grace for a reason for a purpose in his creation, to live out his mission and follow him. Grace makes you bold. Too many people in the evangelical church have the false idea that grace makes you soft and timid uh, without strong opinions about anything. That grace means a slow and gentle approach to the truth and living for Jesus. And what I'm saying this morning is that is a misunderstanding of how God gives grace. And it's also a misunderstanding of what grace does in our life. It's actually exactly the opposite. Grace should give you a spine. Grace should give you courage. Grace means that you can boldly pursue following God with your life with no fear that you're going to mess up and disappoint him because you will mess up. And that's why you need grace. You have grace if your faith is in Christ. It's as sure as the power of the one who created the universe and everything in it. And it is that assurance that gives us boldness in living for and declaring truth. That applies to the truth of who Jesus is and why he came. Yes, first and foremost to the gospel message. But that boldness also applies to all the other truths of why God created the world and what Jesus commands that we do. That applies to the truths of how God created the world and the um, rejection of nature that we see around the world. Grace makes us bold to confront those things. Grace makes us bold in all of that. God did not give you this gift of grace to make you timid with the truth. He gave you grace so that you actually would be able to take the truth into a world that needs it. Some of you are held back in proclaiming truth by fear of men. That's true, and you need to get over that. There's no other answer to that. God saved you by grace for good works. And because of love, you need to speak the truth, and it's a matter of faithfulness to God whether or not you're going to do that. Uh, you've been given grace, and you pervert that gift when you remain silent in the face of the lies of the world. You pervert that gift when you don't tell people about the grace that they don't know about, because that is the truth that is not evident in the world. The world needs to know about grace. Great, grace needs to empower you to live for truth. Great, grace needs to empower you to speak the truth. But I also know, having talked to some of you, 
that some of you are holding back, not because of a fear of what might happen to you, but it's a trust issue that God will still accept you if, even if you get something wrong in your pursuit of truth. It's not a fear of man. It's a fear of failing God and other Christians. You're afraid that you're going to stumble, that in your pursuit of truth, you're going to be found out as a fraud, that you're going to get something wrong, that you're not going to kind of get it right when you're trying to proclaim truth in the world. Well, here's the thing. You are a fraud. We are all hypocrites. But the good news is it's not about us. All right. We're not living our own lives anymore. We're living our lives through Jesus Christ, whose life is now in us. And he is not a fraud. You have a fear of failure. And grace says that fear is not legitimate. All right. You need to move with God. You need to make some choices to make changes to more boldly follow Jesus. You need to let grace cure you of the fear that you'll make a mistake. Because you are going to make mistakes, but the worst thing is being stagnant and apathetic and not moving with God. The attitude of apathy perverts grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and that grace empowers us to live our lives for the truth of Christ's mission. A few application points this morning. First, build your confidence in the truth. Know what you believe and why. Uh, Steve preached a sermon on this earlier on in this series, but we need to be people who embrace truth and have an eager desire to know more of it. God's truth aligns with the reality of the world, and that should make you more curious about the world, more confident in truth. Christian truth is real. It's not just an opinion. Second, learn to recognize the lies of the world. The world lies all the time, all the time the world lies. That means we need to be wise. We need to recognize when the world is lying to us and know that the world hates truth because it doesn't want to submit to the reality of God. Third, examine your understanding of grace. Have you made grace too small? Have you not considered your future grace and what that means for living life now following Jesus? Do you think of grace only in terms of what God did for your past and not in terms of how God empowers your future? And fourthly, live boldly for truth because of grace. Grace means that you do not have to fear men. Grace means that you do not have to fear failing God or other Christians. Grace empowers you to live boldly for truth and for God's mission. 